0: City University Television presents the American Theatre Wing Seminars, Working in the Theatre. This seminar, production.
1: Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminars, now in their 26th year, coming to you from the new Graduate Center of the City University of New York. These seminars offer a unique opportunity to explore with the professionals the realities of working in the theatre. Today we have the Production Seminar, and it is devoted to that wonderful show, Contact. We will follow the creation of the play from its inception through the production and then what follows, I'm Isabel Stevenson, chairman of the board of the American Theatre Wing, and I hope that you will enjoy and learn from today's experience. I would now like to introduce our moderator for this seminar, quite a veteran producer and now president of the American Theatre Wing, Roy A. Sumleo. Roy, <laughs> would do you now do this?
2: Thank you, thank you, Isabel. Uh, Isabel's told you why we're here. We're going to explore a lot about Contact. Let me introduce our panelists, please. On my right is Bernard Gersten, the executive producer of Lincoln Center Theater, who did cr- uh, produce Contact. Bernie has had, had um, perhaps three decades of experience in the not-for-profit institutional theater, as well as some commercial uh, exposure. And uh, next to him is John Weidman. John Weidman is a playwright. He uh, is credited as the author of Contact. You uh, may have uh, known that he is a collaborator frequently with Stephen Sondheim. Wise Guys is your current effort. Assassins, Specific Overture, uh, Overtures. Please, you did more than one, didn't <laughs> you?
3: <laughs> uh,
2: Susan Stroman is sitting next to me. Susan is the director choreographer of Contact. She's got a wealth of experience on Broadway. Uh, She did Crazy For You. She did uh, Big. She did Steel Pier. And uh, she was very uh, acclaimed for her work on Oklahoma, in uh, London, which never quite got to America. But (laughs) we're still waiting for it. We're still (laughs) waiting for it. Next to her is uh, Thomas Cott. Tom is the marketing director and director of special projects for Lincoln Center Theatre. And he, too, has had both commercial and not-for-profit experience. And Tom is a lecturer and a consultant on theatre arts. And on my far right is Andre Bishop, the artistic director of the Lincoln Center Theatre. And Andre, if I'm not mistaken, you've probably spent your entire career, professional career, in the uh, institutional theatre, the not-for-profit. So, let me start with you if I can Tell us now we all know that uh, contact is now has <coughs> just set the world on fire with this, its production, and what we really want to
0: know is how did it really start what 's the very beginning of, of contact It started <coughs> well it 's so funny to talk about something that has become what you just said, and think back to its <coughs> beginning, which wasn 't really well that long ago. I, I don't really remember because I forget everything except what (laughs) happened this morning. But um, (laughs) uh, I think, truthfully, I had noticed Susan Stroman for a number of years and had seen a number of her shows, Uh, and I'd met her once or twice socially, but I I didn't know know her at all. And uh, I had this idea, and you know. one doesn't have that many ideas in one's life, (laughs) at least I don't. But this was, as it turned out, a good idea. I thought that she, number one, should come to Lincoln Center Theatre and enjoy the benefits that this institutional theatre that I have worked in all my life can offer, which is a certain ease of production, a, a kind of dignity afforded to the artists who work there, and freedom to create something new, and something that she really wanted to do, and I guess I'd felt perhaps presumptuously, that I was sort of – I felt that she really had the makings of a director, and I thought it would be great to invite her to come to Lincoln Center, where we could give her a home and have her create something new, uh, not just for us, but for herself. Uh, So I called her. I had cleared the way with her beloved agent, Flora Roberts. uh, And I called her up, and I said, would you be interested in coming in and talking to me about?" a show? And she said, yes. And I mean, what else could she say? I guess she could have said, no! <laughs> or, but she said, yes. And uh, she came in, and we talked. And I just said, look, I think you're really talented. You should be doing your own work. The uh, Lincoln Center Theatre can really do such a variety of things for the people who work there. Please come here and do something, whatever you want, whenever you want. Uh, and we had a lovely talk, and I was instantly Smitten, And then she went away, and I didn't hear from her for months and months (laughs) and months. And because I do not have much aggression in me, though I'm working on it, uh, uh, I didn't dare call her, because I thought, well, it was a good idea and we had a nice time and I know I can, you know, kiss her when I meet her, as opposed to shake her hands, but nothing's going to (laughs) come of this. And then suddenly, one day, she called and she said, well, I've been thinking about your offer. And I do have an idea, and I've called John Weidman, whom, whom I had known from when we produced Assassins, when, when I was working at Playwrights Horizons, and uh, we would like to come in and talk to you about an idea we have. So they came in, and we talked about this idea that turned out to be uh, the basis of the third piece in the play, in the, in the evening, called Contact. And uh, it was based on a, loosely based on a short story by Ambrose Bier- Bierce. And, you know, when, y- when guys like me have meetings with people like them, and they recount to you the plot of what they want to do, it always sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the plot of Hamlet sounds boring. Well, I think it sort of is boring. But, uh, and, but what you do is you, you say, oh, that sounds wonderful, because you believe in the talented people. If people are talented, you know they will make anything good, I think.
4: We never heard this before. Uh, <laughs> we thought he left. No, <laughs> uh, you know, it's,
0: it sounded interesting, but an idea is an idea. And uh, anyway – words. <laughs>
2: well, Andre, was it just a one-on-one meeting, just between you yeah. and Susan? Yeah.
0: Uh, and then John came know. in. and But the point is, they wanted to do something, <laughs> and they were given a, an opportunity to come there, and they seized it. and. Uh, So, you know, I said, great, this sounds good. And I I mean, I'm being joking. It it did sound good. Uh, And they went away, and I'm getting – anyway, that's how it started. There were workshops and all of that. But it it started with a phone call, and I sort of wish every play and musical could start with a phone call, and it rarely, if ever, does. Well, Bernie, as the uh, executive producer, obviously,
2: uh, you are in continual uh, communication with your associate. (laughs) How does the producer look to uh, something like this, where an idea is just going
5: to suddenly come to life? Well, the idea was not uh, what came to life. What came to life was the work itself. What was offered was not to do a production, but to do a workshop to investigate an idea in a rehearsal hall. And the miracle, I think, of CONTACT is the work that took place. The original idea was miraculous. The (coughs) fulfillment of the idea in the workshop was what was deeply affecting to us. And at the end, uh, what were the dates of the first workshop? In February. February. Yeah.
3: February.
5: And um, <clears throat> it's amazing what has, what has taken place in the elapsing, uh, what, ten months, nine months? months yeah. Well, nine months, it <laughs> makes <laughs> great <laughs> sense <laughs> when you think of it that <laughs> way. <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> but what happened was, the first <laughs> workshop was of the third work of CONTACT, which Susan and John will describe in detail, I presume. <laughs> And uh, after a month's work, after, it was only four weeks, wasn't it, or five, first workshop? Uh, for, uh, five weeks. Five weeks. Week. Mm-hmm. And after the five weeks, we came to a run-through, and we were bowled over and deeply, deeply affected and moved and just couldn't get over it. Well, so it was a miraculous experience. But you must realize, that was not a commitment to do a work. It was a commitment to do a workshop. It was a commitment to process, not to production. The commitment well, to production followed. After the process,
2: well, I think we should identify a workshop because it's a it's a term that is sometimes <laughs> in the commercial theater right. has a different connotation. In this case, it was purely a creative experience. So, what did you do? You've been given a license to do a workshop.
3: <laughs> well, after uh, after I met with Andre, I actually went right home and I called John Weidman, and I said, "You've got to come over because Andre Bishop said if I had an idea, <laughs> we could do something there." So he came over, and in fact, we. We started right away in meeting once once a week or sometimes twice a week and trying to develop an idea. And, in, in, in fact, I called John because I wanted to do something very contemporary, something that happens in 1999 and, and create a piece for now and for today's audience. And John has a, a very contemporary wit about him and, and dialogue about him. and. Uh, So he's and plus John loves dance. and Not all writers love dance.
2: You'd work together. uh, Yeah, so I known John. And 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 you'd work together in big, right? right, mm
3: -hmm. So he came over and and we we uh, just tossed out some ideas, and uh, we both knew about the Um Ambrose Bierce short story uh, occurrence at Owl Creek, (laughs) and we loved that short story, and thought, is there any way to turn that into a story that happens in 1999? But uh, I I. I told John about an experience I had had a couple months before at an underground swing club in uh, lower Manhattan, where I went to this club and there was a girl there in a yellow dress. And she would um, step forward when she was ready to dance with a man, and she would dance with him, and then step back after she was done and get lost in the crowd. And then again, she would appear and step forward. And I myself got obsessed watching her, because of course, it was in Manhattan, everyone was dressed in black and dark clothing, <laughs> and this girl would step forward. And at the end of the night, probably about three in the morning, she disappeared. And then I wondered, you know, at some point, she was going to change some man's life, you know. <laughs> she was going to dance with the right fella and change some man's life. And I told John this story, and we tried to then see w- if we could combine the two short stories, and we came up with Contact. When we, we had what we thought would be right to go into a workshop, we went back to Andre with this short story. And he set up a workshop for us. But it all came out of a very pure place. Um, for Andre and Bernie to give us eighteen dancers in the cellar of Lincoln Center and just let us have these five weeks to create through improv and through following our idea, it, it, you know, it has come out of a very pure <coughs> place of creating. And we could have not done contact in any other place but Lincoln Center.
4: Yeah, the the, the um, and even before we got to the workshop, the, the 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 process of figuring out what we wanted to do was w- unfolded in a way which was only possible, as Stroh said, because we were doing it, you know, with Lincoln Center Theater's arm around our shoulders. There was absolutely, when we sat down, when I sat down with Stroh in her den, there was there was there were no assumptions about where we were headed, or, or any obligations we needed to fulfill, or anything about what the piece needed to be when it was finished. Um, and we didn't even talk about it in those terms. We didn't talk about whether it should be a conventional musical, it should be this. We just played with possibilities. And we let, we let the piece expand from an image into what it ultimately became. Um, you know, ultimately, I mean, along the way, we found ourselves talking about whether or not people should sing, how much should they talk, what was how, in what way would dance express the story? But it was, it was a, it was a rare and and entirely satisfying creative experience because it was able to proceed at its own pace, and without any requirements that needed to be satisfied along the way. So that, w- and, and indeed, it wasn't until we were we were pretty much ready to go into the workshop, that we sort of stopped and said, you know, this looks like it's going to be about an hour long. Is that an evening in the theatre? Will it need more? Should, you know, and, but we didn't worry about that. Even at that point, we didn't worry about it. All we worried about was, was fulfilling the, the ambitions for the piece which had developed as we, as we imagined this third piece, which was Contact. And then, you know, once the workshop was done, that process continued in a different way, but it was terrific. It, it does not happen. You don't, get, you don't get to have this experience very often. We as you m- said, m-
1: it could only have happened at Lincoln Center. Is this unusual for you, as a producer, to have this kind of thing take place? I, th-
5: I think maybe everybody in the world doesn't know what workshops are. All right. Mm-hmm. Most everybody in the world who's <laughs> likely to be listening knows what productions are. People decide on the basis of reading or listening, or some combination of reading or listening, uh, reading or hearing, or listening <coughs> to somebody tell a story, or handed, being handed a script, or listening to a <coughs> bunch of songs, that they're going to do a play, produce a play or a musical. And then the process is very familiar to, to watchers and listeners of this program. You assemble money, or you're in institutional theater, and you do it in a slightly different way. But what workshops are, or workshops are investigations, are creative investigations of, in some instances, an idea, in some instances, a fully developed work that's written and composed, and lyrics are there and text is there. In this instance, it was the, uh, uh, the examination of an idea in private with no performance goal ahead. Nobody was going to perform it, particularly necessarily. It would take place over a period of time, and the discovery of the work, Uh, And the evolution of the work would take place in the privacy of a rehearsal process. A workshop is a rehearsal, but usually rehearsals lead to performances. A workshop does not have performance as its end goal. You may decide in the course of a workshop that you're onto something and you'll say, well, we'll perform it for somebody. Uh, We'll perform it for the producer and his nearest and dearest, (laughs) or for the staff, or some combination thereof. But public performances are not at the heart of workshops. Under commercial circumstances, yeah. workshops are frequently done with a view to achieving or acquiring backers of the work and then it 's a demonstration with a purpose that was not the purpose of this. The purpose of this workshop and it 's a, a luxurious kind of activity was to discover if there was anything there, if there was a there there, if the work would evolve in a way that would satisfy its authors and directors a director and uh, so the the reoccurrence of the word PURE about this was very much uh, in evidence from the, from the get-go. Uh, from the telephone call that Andre m- made, there was no arching purpose. He wasn't asking Susan to do a revival or to, uh, uh, to do some work that was in hand. He said, could you use the theatre to explore some desire of yours that perhaps has not yet been identified? And that's what took place. So it was Bernie, really quite amazing. Bernie,
2: do you think that in the commercial world, which I think more people are familiar with, that there's the opportunity to do something similar? Do you
5: think there's ever yeah, essentially essentially the same resources. What are the, the resources? The resources are a place, a private place, money uh, and will. Now, where anybody can assemble those three elements, theoretically. <laughs> but more often, they occur in uh, the not-for-profit sector, in the not-for-profit theatre, perhaps than in the commercial in the commercial arena, uh, not because one is pure and holy and good and the other is bad and evil and money-driven. That's not the reason. Those are just coincidental aspects. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I
6: don't <laughs> think everybody
2: will agree with you, <laughs> right? No, no, no. <laughs> but, but I think joke. there are <laughs> really <laughs> jokes <laughs> involved. Uh, it's, it's interesting to that note
6: that the workshop process began in the nonprofit theater. Actually, Bernie worked on the very first one on Course Line. I don't know if it was. The, was it the first? I think I so. Never knew. Well, certainly the, the best-known one. Well, and I I think uh, it was subjugated. What Thomas is referring to
5: is the fact that at the New York Shakespeare Festival Public Theater many years ago, a workshop was begun, which was also based more on material than on an idea. The idea was there is something in this raw material, which was a uh, were a bunch of confessional first-person tapes that were developed by Michael Bennett, and over a series of workshops, a chorus line was born at the New York Shakespeare Festival Public Theater. On the first day of rehearsal, I had the effrontery to say, and, you know, I was sort of self-conscious about saying it and I thought yes. it was a bad joke, but I made it partly. I didn't make it totally. I said that the last time I had been in a rehearsal hall with a bunch of mirrors along the wall and a bunch of dancers warming up in <laughs> leotards, something quite remarkable had evolved. That was some three decades before, or almost three decades before. I had no expectations that lightning, which rarely, I'm told, strikes twice, in a similar place or the same place would we'll strike again. But it has been a strike. The number of people from the outside who have said to me, "It's really quite surprising that you, in your lifetime, <laughs> have had ex- an experience with a chorus line and with contact." I was amazed. I think that we
2: bring um, the fact that we bring up a chorus line is not coincidental, uh, just because you were at the birth of both. I think the contact has been compared. So much to that. I mean, in, in, in terms of its acceptance, in terms of its creativity, and also, by the way, its reviews, uh, which is, uh, I, I'm kind of interested in, in uh, your, exp- uh, Tom, particularly. Here's a show that appears in a in, a, in a, a evolution from a workshop. You suddenly decide, not suddenly, but you eventually decide that perhaps it's ready for an audience, and you expose it to your audience of 299 seats each night. And wow, it explodes! in this. Now you've got notices.
6: But uh, we knew even before the notices. That, that's really the, the right. true test of a, of a popular show. Right From the very first preview, audiences of all stripes were enjoying this play. We had audiences that were very young, audiences that were older. And unilaterally, the response was very, very strong. And, and it was interesting that after the reviews came out, that there was that extra lift that comes with reviews. But it was always a very uh, audience-pleasing show. And you, you can't get out of the way of that. I mean, you have to, you have to help it along.
2: Well, well, let's take it, Andre, if we can. We now, you now had this workshop, which everybody looked at and knew was it's, it shouldn't just end there. You should do something. What were the next steps, then, to bring this eventually to an audience?
0: <coughs> well, uh, we had to do another workshop, because there was a debate as to whether uh, an hour's show was long enough, and I went to Bernie and said, "Do you think an hour is too enough time?" And he said, "Yes, it's fine." And then the <laughs> next day, in Gerstinian fashion, he said, "No, no, no, we can't do only an hour." So <laughs> I don't say it like that. <laughs> no, no, no. You say it in a very <laughs> How gentle.
1: How did you say it? I said, Let me hear. Say it nice.
0: <laughs> uh, nice.
5: He said "That was really nice." That was really nice. And I. Done. A one-hour show in memory. People like ninety-minute show. Was really a was <laughs> <laughs> I was really a wasn't
4: About that, I worked I'm, for years. I
0: so. was happy because I, I, I felt an hour wasn't long enough. Anyway, so we had another one of those meetings, and uh, it seemed clear that we needed, um, you know, uh, something to be. To, if contact would be the end of the evening, we needed something for it. And and you would discuss How that you say before a first act. Yeah. A first act. Uh, there had been discussions of this Fragonard painting, "A Girl in the Swing." I mean, even before we did the first workshop, and there was also discussions of. Ma- I mean, I think at one point there was a sort of schematic idea that the first, if we had three pieces, the first piece would be all dance, the second piece would be in a bar and would be all dialogue, right. and monologues. Which I, I actually, that was the one idea I did not think was a good idea.
1: When and did you decide it would be three pieces? Up until now, you were. Well, talking no. About that.
0: After this meeting. We talked about various ideas, including the first half should be just another full length. But then they thought about it, and I think decided that it would get in the way of contact. The monologue's idea was thrown out, and then they came back and said, we have two ideas. One was The Girl in the Swing, uh, the Fragonard painting come to life, and one was uh, to take place in an Italian restaurant. And, and, and I must say, the description of that was hilarious. Um, <laughs> So, again, you know, we were in the enviable position uh, to say, "Okay, (laughs) let's do another workshop in the cellar, as you call it. (laughs) The cellar! (laughs) And it's colder than most cellars in the Beaumont basement. And and let's workshop these first two pieces. Probably not do contact the third piece with it, let's just focus on these two, get much of the company back. And that's what they did. So the process repeated itself for the second workshop, but by that time, we had committed to doing a production of one piece or two pieces or three pieces, so that there was an end in sight. And Stroh and John were working very, very quickly because the other complication was they both had busy schedules with uh, Wise Guys and the uh, Music Man. And and Susan said, you know, we really, if we're going to do this, we have to do it in the summer. And we were able to capitalize on the second workshop, and we had a bit of a break and then we went right into rehearsals for the production, Mm -hmm. with mostly the same company. And that was of great help.
3: The other short stories came from, actually, when we started to work on CONTACT. We came up with quite a few short stories and different ideas. Save it for CONTACT 2. Uh, CONTACT 2. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, when uh, Andre and Bernie asked if we could put together uh, a first act, we did have in the back of our minds already some other ideas for short stories, but what we did was, you do a take off on the word swing because contact does have a lot of swing dancing in it so we thought is there something in t- um, a spin off on that actual word we both knew of the Fragonard painting called the swing and we thought wouldn't it be fun to to do a, a piece of what we really thought Fragonard was thinking about when he painted that <laughs> picture and then the second piece was a take off on the word swingers you know men f- from 1950s the, the rat pack type but as we Developed that piece, it was clear that it was more important for it to be about the woman and for it to be about the wife. So it, it sort of veered from that. But still, we stayed in, in that time. But, but all three pieces are about people connecting, their ability to connect or their inability to connect or their want to connect. And all three pieces are about fantasy, the first one being a fantasy that is realized fully in real time, and the second one being a daydream fantasy. And the third one being a subconscious fantasy, where your subconscious comes out and saves you. So it does have a connection, all three stories. John, you
2: but don't have um, – for those of us who've been fortunate enough to see Contact, and I think uh, it, it'll be an enormously growing audience for many, many years, but I think that um, you, I think maybe it'd be well if you explain. This is not the kind of piece that, in, that uh, you've written uh, parts for people with dialogue as such. Could you explain that? Yeah, I'll let it? me explain in a little part? bit
4: about the form, and then I for want to me? talk a little bit about how we got there. It, 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 um, you know, um, Strau and I are credited as co-authors, and indeed we are. And uh, one of the things that w- became clear as we started uh, to talk about what we wanted to do in our earliest meetings was that what we were headed for was a piece in which uh, the storytelling would be carried by movement and dance, primarily. In in a way, I suppose uh, the way um, uh, singing, music, and lyrics carry most of the storytelling ultimately in a successful musical. Um, so that the there is a there is a balance between dialogue and dance, which is unusual, and I think which which uh, many people recognize as unusual. Um, at the same time, all three little pieces have very the narrative the stories are quite simple, but they 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 are they are story driven, all three of them. And um, they have very clear and very present narratives. They are not impressionistic um, uh, dance pieces, by any means. They're three little playlets, three little short stories, as as Stroh says. And the first piece has one spoken line of dialogue in it. The second piece, has uh, um, a language is much more present than it is uh, in, in the first piece. And in the third piece, uh, that process continues, the balance between, uh, between movement and dialogue. But um, a dance, a movement, is always the, the primary vocabulary, the primary language of storytelling over the course of the evening. And I think one of the reasons why, you know, Andre referred to sort of our first ideas of what the, what the first two pieces might be about, there was an intellectual neatness to the idea of movement. Language and then language and movement combined, but it became as a result of seeing contact, uh, having worked it in, in a room, it was clear that that was, that was not what the, what the evening wanted to feel like. And because we had the ability, because the theater gave us the permission to do the first piece and not do anything more than the first piece we learned an enormous amount from having to do it, which then informed the decisions we could make about what needed to go with it. If we had had to design an entire evening before we went into a rehearsal room, um, I don't know where we would have wound up. I mean, we might well have wound up, you know, throwing something out, trying to replace it with something else. We didn't have to do that. We could do it one step at a time. And um, that was, it was, it, it, that's what got us where we wound up. It was, it was terrific.
5: I think there's one other thing that needs to be observed, which is when contact was done in the first workshop, its length was its length, and I don't know was there a bar added in the in production in the rehearsal for production? It seems to me it was exactly the (laughs) same length when it was final. But there was no pressure saying, "Wait, this is great, but we have to make it into a two-act work. You have to have a first act and a second act. It has to be a single work, a unified work. That's not what it was about. It was perfect as it was, and it was, you know with whatever work remained to be done uh, beyond the workshop process. But it was not an attempt to stretch it or, or make it fit into some other form, because that might be a better idea, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so the idea of finding a first act and a different first act was, I think, wonderfully organic to the preservation of contact as it, as it evolved. Yes. Okay.
2: How to your, in terms of your, your characters. As you I think that, uh, I've, of all the musicals I've seen, I, I don't think there are more vivid characters than in yours. And yet, as you say, there's very little dialogue. Did you delineate the characters to each of the, uh, the people that you cast them, or, uh, or did, that de- did that come out in, again in the workshop? How well, uh, it's a
3: combination of both, yeah, I think. Yeah. We, we knew – I think part of the appeal of, of CONTACT also is the Especially the two characters, Karen Ziemba in the second piece and then Boyd Gaines in the third piece. The audience relates to those characters. They, um, they find something of themselves in those characters, because those characters are very strong. And I think when we went into the workshop, we, we actually did know what those characters were. But, but hiring someone like Boyd Gaines and, and letting him find his uh, footing in that, in that short story has just made it richer. He, he um, plays a character who is uh, thrown into a world of dance, and it's very foreign to him. And it's about somebody mm-hmm. taking a chance in a, in a foreign place. And uh, Boyd Gaines, really, the actor, <laughs> is being also, not only as that character, is being thrown into a very foreign place with all these dancers. So his vulnerability is very true and very real.
2: But your, your ensemble of dancers, each one of those is a specific character. Yes. And I. Th- and, uh, I'm well, now how every did that get created? Well,
4: that—that that is through I the mean, workshop. I- through the workshop. I mean, we went into—and then I'll turn this over to Stro. I just—I I think it's—it's it's of some interest that when we when we went into the workshop with the first piece, we had a script, um, which which was a, a finished description of of what the the show is. Um, we knew where the story started. We knew what the incidents and episodes were, and the dialogue—the way it gets massaged—the way it always does. But essentially, uh, everything which is set on stage basically was there. There was a little more that got cut and so on and so forth. But the, the, the people in the dance club who were not Boyd Gaines and who were not the bartender um, uh, were simply described as the dancers in the club. And then through a combination of casting and what Strode developed with the dancers, in the room, and this is what I mean. This is, a, this is as much the writing of the piece as anything that was on paper before we started. We wound up with these with very clear set of specific people.
3: Every dancer in contact in all three s- short stories has a backstory. There is something, a character. Every dancer has a character and a backstory in each story of the evening.
2: How did like, you find the dancers? You know, you, are these are all the dancers people you've worked with in the past, or uh, many of head? them
3: are, some, some are new though, some are new, but, but some are uh, I've have, I have worked with in, in the past five or six years, yes Well, why
2: don't you just talk then about the, since you had characters that you had in mind, how did you d- what was the casting process when you did, th- did that? Did you evaluate? can they fulfill? Well, these they characters? all had
3: to all the dancers are really actors who dance, dancers who act, they all are very good actors and uh, they 're all very creative also, and so if I, if I have had them in my lifetime in another show and, and know that they are creative, they got into contact because um, that 's part of the it was very stimulating and nurturing and, and being in that the, a very protective space creatively, and to have all these very creative minds together who all who all dance you know it, w- it was it was thrilling but they uh, so they were cast with that in mind um, they 're all very bright and uh, For example, uh, there are three fellas in contact who are obstacles to Boyd Gaines. And they had it's um, Jack Hayes and Sean Hingston and Robert Worsinger. And they all have to to be technically very strong, but they all have have to look very powerful. They have Mm -hmm. to look like they're a threat to Boyd. So I had to cast three fellas who would look like they would be trouble to (laughs) Boyd. (laughs) And uh, yet, they had to be technically beautiful dancers at the same time.
2: But that was the, the the fact that there were threats, that's something that you envisioned in the in the original script, I presume.
4: Well, we had you know the 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 um, I can't remember at what point that idea entered the the sure. stream of ideas that wound up in the rehearsal room. But it was mm-hmm. so that was that those are the kind of conversations that we had as we were heading for the workshop.
1: I, I wanted to ask more about the workshop in the form in the in production. How fully developed were the two workshops and? What was the cost of them? And I don't mean in complete dollars, yeah. but <laughs> how do you find yeah. out uh, how, this, how much this is going to cost and how much you're going mm-hmm. to capitalize it for?
5: The basic cost uh, of a workshop is the pe- are the talented people who are working. They're paid very, very modest wages for that period of time. And uh, there are minimal props in the case of contact there, what was required were sturdy um, objects like pool tables and uh, the divan uh, that had to be readily moved and yet extremely stable. So those were among the impediments. And then ultimately, the creation of the swing and its physical requirements were developed in workshop, not at great expense, uh, but just in finding the technical means of doing it. But the cost of the workshops, I think, of both workshops, which were two fi- a five and a four-week period, so it was nine weeks with about twenty. 2022 20, people being paid in the workshop with some 240, 250 thousand mm-hmm. dollars.
1: And is that but because you have the facilities within? Yeah, we have rehearsal hall, mm-hmm.
5: uh, but all the directly attributable costs of the workshop came to that. That's not uh,
2: uh, so unusual in terms of that. The cost of that is uh, almost comparable to what one would pay in a commercial. Yeah, it uh, is. Uh, 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 except for the fact that they're running a, st- a studio. Uh, at what point did the designers come into the mix? I think design plays a very exciting part of, the, of contact. And When did you bring them into uh, the mix?
3: Very early on, actually, because, um, uh, you know, I know that the, the collaboration for me, uh, f- for the choreographer, with the set designer, with the costume designer and the lighting de- designer, it, it happens always happens early on for me. Um, <coughs> because when I choreograph, I, am, I actually imagine things lit, and I imagine people dressed. So when I am choreographing, I am choreographing in color, full technicolor at all times. So I do bring them in early. And when we did the first workshop to contact, sort of in the middle of maybe in that third week, I asked Tom Lynch and William Ivy long and Peter Kazorowski to come in and watch and, and discuss with me uh, how what they saw and how what they do could support the dance. I should say, too, that the, about the first three days of the workshop, all we did do was dance. And we would switch partners, and we would dance more, and we would, I would pair people up, just to see how they did make contact with one another, how they connected. What Some of them were aggressive with each other, some were gentle with each other. And by just for three days doing improvs of just dancing with one another, we pulled out these characters.
5: How did you figure out what the girl in the yellow dress would wear? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I understand
2: that there were many yellow dresses. There were many. And and after the (laughs) show
3: report last night, I think there's going to be another one. (laughs) Um, Because the yellow dress has to do many things, because uh, the fellas have to lift her, and of course, the dress would be too slippery, or the dress would be too long and her heel would go in in the skirt, or um, the dress would have sparkle and it would actually take the skin off of some of the <laughs> <laughs> fellas. So it went through many, many versions. But
6: there are nine now, right? Yes, yes. There's actually
3: a yellow dress shrine in the basement <laughs> with some <laughs> yellow flowers underneath yeah. of it, <laughs> but f- trying to find the very perfect yellow dress. So. It it has a mystery about it, and, uh, and, and William Ivy Long has put his finger on it. It's a very beautiful dress, yeah. and it dances beautifully.
4: <laughs> and Deborah Yates, I just in passing, I, there was never a moment of temperament from her throughout the whole process <laughs> of putting on these nine different dresses, you know, <laughs> you know while she was building her performance. She We're going to sell good. them in the lobby. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> from last
1: workshop to opening first preview, how long?
6: Uh, well, it was February, the first workshop, and then uh June was, like uh, June, was the June, second June. workshop, and then preview started in September well Tom,
2: now that you, once you found that you had a show that you were ready to sell to the public that became that becomes kind of close to your department almost <laughs> exclusively. Uh, what did you do, and what are your future plans you obviously you can 't it's sold out completely. This is a show that no one We can never
6: say it. sold out completely. You <laughs> <have> to,
5: you're <laughs> argued with Bernie.
6: <laughs> I never argued with Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, actually, it's interesting, and this show, once again, was a, t- was a collaboration. Um, and the idea for the poster image uh, was the very first thing we started with, and we s- talked to Stroh and John about that, obviously. But. Even the company itself came up with ideas <laughs> for the poster, some of which were quite wonderful, um, some of which were rather pornographic. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and so, but a lot of that thinking about what, how to present this evening, because it's actually three different parts, and you try and get a sensibility for the show that represents all three parts, or just do one. Um, actually the window card which we have with us today, is two-sided, because it has uh, two of the main images, which are um, – uh, two of the plays with Karen Zimba. How do you display a
2: two sided window card? Uh,
6: well, you know, it rotates. At <laughs> <laughs> will. Right. And, and similarly, in our advertising, we've been rotating the images so that people will mm-hmm. get a sense that there's more than just one idea to this. Right. Well,
2: now, you're with a, uh, uh, an institutional theater which has, a, you say, a membership That's right. of some 50,000. All 50,000 people cannot see your, uh, your production in not a limited engagement. D- well, not particularly yet. since they. No, I mean, in the, in the initial announced right. engagement. They can't see that And Obviously, if you have 50,000 membership, that's going to be over 100,000 seats that you have to.
6: No, they only get to buy one ticket. That's how the way right. our membership works, yeah. They oh, only well, get a couple has two yeah. members, that's you know. Right. You oh, mean, I, oh, I Oh, that's uh, how you get two members. It's not like a traditional I said how you get two seats. You get two
2: members. That's right. What is it? Well, could you tell us now what is the significance of a membership and how that uh, is not the same as a subscription? Right.
6: It's well, in brief, this theater has always done things a little bit unusually for institutional theatre. Um, in most notably, we run popular shows for as long as they po- possibly can. Um, it would be a shame to run Contact for 12 weeks and then close it, because you have to bring in another play for a subscription season. Um, so we developed, um, well, uh, 14 years ago, the membership as an alternative su- to subscription, so that uh, we would have more flexibility mm-hmm. and the audience would also have flexibility. Uh, members joined for a modest fee, it's now $25. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they can choose to see or not see whatever we offer them during the year. Um, and they don't see everything that we offer them, because we do a lot of shows. So they pick and choose. And some people love musicals, some people don't. So they may have wanted to see Contact in the first instance before the reviews <laughs> came out or not. Um, now that the show will have a longer life, they can still see it in the, l- in the Beaumont.
2: Do they pay the same price as any a non-member, when they buy their tickets?
6: No. Members pay a greatly reduced price, um, and it's – well, right now it's $30. Which is compared to top price of sixty-five dollars for contact. So it's more than half. So,
2: so somebody that pays twenty-five dollars for a membership, right. and they see one show. They've, they've already made up their, uh, their a great the bargain, price of their membership, which is why we have so right. many and
6: why they renew so right. regularly. Would well, you have
2: a cap on at, at, at fifty thousand? I mean, what would happen if you? We, actually, more?
6: we actually have uh, suspended membership uh, at the moment, and it has lots to do with the size of the th- uh, membership. Um, than it does with the number of places we're going to be able to offer people at this point. So you can't join right now, but we will reopen at a future date.
2: Well, now what about subscription? How does that relate to? How do you have a subscription? We don't no. no none at all. Places that. Pardon?
6: Membership replaces that as, as our core audience.
2: And does your membership uh, mm-hmm. uh, affect any uh, both the, the Mitzi Newhouse and the Vivian Beaumont?
6: It does. We, we actually have two categories of membership, uh, one that includes both theatres and one that is a Beaumont-only membership.
2: And uh, what are the prices of those, though?
6: Well, it's 20, $25 is the Beaumont membership, and $35 for the full membership. But uh, both are now closed. $35
1: yeah. for the two?
6: For to, to join for a year. Mm-hmm. And then all these different members pay $30 a ticket. So it's a great bargain. It is. More contact! That's (laughs) right. But uh, the Newhouse, because it's a smaller theatre, tends to fill up nicely with members. The Beaumont, because it's three times the size, the members only represent a portion of the audience. So that's a challenge for us, as well.
2: I think that now we've been talking about institutional theatre, and uh, I think more people are familiar, perhaps, with the commercial theatre. I think it would be interesting to know the, r- the relationship between the artistic director and the executive producer, in, in, in how you function and, uh,
5: in, in, in an institutional theatre. Uh, most know? of the institutional theatres have this paired structure, <coughs> and uh, actually, uh, it, it's somewhat misleading to say that the executive producer is the producer and the artistic director is artistic, you know, and has his head in – or has her or his head in the clouds and is not into practical matters. We, uh, we bill ourselves, uh, it says that Lincoln Center Theatre is under the direction of Andre Bishop and Bernard Gersten Andre is responsible for the core artistic decisions. He is the, uh, the the person responsible for repertory and artists. It's like an A&R person. Uh, nobody says A&R, but it is A&R. Uh, and um, the responsibilities of the administration, marketing, fundraising. Uh, and financing of the theatre are, the, uh, pri- are primarily my uh, responsibility. But the entire theatre is jointly, uh, jointly owned and operated – not owned, but uh, <laughs> operated uh, – by Andre and me. And uh, we've had a very, uh, re- w- I think, satisfying, rewarding, uh, peaceful, and uh, – You say
2: that. What does he say? Right, well, I know what he'll say.
5: <laughs> this is my view. <laughs> relationship over what now yeah. ten years
0: nine
1: what happens how does it all come about when well, you just mentioned the marketing fundraising development uh, where did it take it from the top of how does this happen you have a meeting you've got a show what where do we go from here when where does have? Tom come in where does your advertising come in
5: well our offices are strung along a a, a very long <laughs> hallway, and all the offices give up. Off. So, what you do is you walk up and
1: down the hallway. <laughs> and you and, kind and of whoever goes, is there, you, there, you, you see. talk to. You. <laughs> and actually, it true. works out. Sometimes you're thing. not all there, so you have to do it all by yourself.
5: <laughs> <laughs> sort of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, on Saturdays and sometimes on Sundays. <laughs> uh, but, but the reality is that institutional theaters are set up not for individual shows. They're set up as institutions. They have a program of work. They operate 52 weeks a year. And what we all attempt to do is balance uh, what uh, some people sometimes refer to as the four elements without which you can't have a theatre, which is the place where the theatre takes place, the money that provides the fuel on which the theatre runs, the artists who people the theatre. And uh, and what am I missing? What's and, the and the audience, and the audience of them. That, those <laughs> are the four uh, core elements of the theater. There, and they redivide. All we do is re- each theater, both commercial and non-commercial, reorganizes and replans for these four elements in a different way. That's all we do. Uh, if you're a commercial producer, you do it on a one production at a time basis. You decide to produce a play. And so you, d- you bring together those four elements for that one play. If anybody here wants to produce a play today, let me advise you, it's very difficult to get a theatre. <laughs> and it's hard to do a play without a theatre, unless you're doing, I think, as much ado about nothing, I think, is being done at the bus terminal today. <laughs> I heard about that in the New York Times. You know, it's an on-site, specific, uh, site-specific production. But if you want a theatre, it's a bad time to be a producer. On the other hand, if you have an institutional theatre you sometimes have a twenty-five-year lease, and we have five more years on our lease. At, we go to 2005. So we have two theatres, actually, till 2005, and then we could renew it for another twenty-five years at, I think, the same rent, which is only a dollar. That's okay. a very <laughs> favourable rent.
1: <laughs> uh, so. Have you, <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> have you asked for a reduction? Have you asked for a reduction? No. We're in <ready> control. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to, th- despite the fact that you planned for your whole year, and, and you have all of your plans there, you have to treat each production Individual. as a separate piece. So this is a production within, ju- the, production within the whole world. thing. But if you, t- you take one production, and I'd like to know. Step by step of how it came to well,
5: we did that. I, uh, Andre, no, I no, Andre a phone did the call call. creative
1: part <laughs> in and the, the beginning. The I mean, it's call. like God. No, I <laughs> got not saying, it's I don't know that. I'm saying, too dark out
5: here. I'm going to start creation <laughs> going. I want to know the, the, when did the, the advertising come in yes,
1: and, and what kind of. When Andre walked
5: down the hall and said, "We better do some advertising," all
1: right. But actually, Isabel, you know the
3: the thing is, at Lincoln Center, John and I were brought in to the advertising with Tom and and discussed the logo, and and Tom was fabulous, and Andre Bernier about collaborating with the people who actually created the show. You don't do that in the commercial theatre. You
2: know, there's something that's been been said here. It all sounds very storybook. (laughs) Those of us who have been through uh, the pain of really creating musicals – and I won't put a label on your show, we'll talk about that. Any, show, any kind of show, it doesn't really quite go as rosy as this. Is that really true? Is that is that what happened? Let's here talk about the, the screaming track? fits. Let's
5: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: do no, that part. No, but it sounds no, like. No, but it has to do with the collaboration and, and the fact that, because in the commercial theater, you, aren't, you, you create something and then other people come into it and take it someplace else. And, and in fact, right down to the poster, they collaborated. And, um, and in every step, they make a phone call saying, you know, we, we want to do a commercial or we want to do this. What do you think? It's not. It's all about collaborating with the people who created it, and that's what makes it different. Are you ever brought into the
1: cost of it? Well, we would like this commercial, or we would like this poster, but it would cost X under a dollars more.
3: In in a small way, yes, in Mm -hmm. a small way.
2: But uh, were there were there seriously were there no barbs in this? That is this so untraditional in terms of its creation? You know,
4: uh, honestly. uh, it, there weren't it. It uh, you know we have been been through the wars. I mean I have. I've been through the wars and and come up smelling and come up smelling like a rose. And I've been through the wars and and, 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 and not come, come <laughs> up smelling and not come up absolutely. You <laughs> know come up smelling. You, yeah. know, come up smelling. <laughs> uh, you know but in you know the, the, the uh, in either case the process was was similar. In this case, um, uh, it uh, storybook is. A, I, don't, I wouldn't want to put that that label on it. But it was a. I believe that that the, the 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 show evolved and was created in as in as smooth and satisfying a manner from Andre's first phone call to opening night as as th- the experience for me was one I don't expect to have again <laughs> in, in, in exactly this way. Plus Ooh. you know
3: the way that the dancers are treated with great respect okay. at Lincoln Center from everyone in that building and so they if you're treated with respect and and, and feel this dignity, you just create more. And you feel a, a freedom, a sense of freedom to make you even create more. And uh, I know that for them, a lot of them, it's the first time they've really felt that freedom.
2: There may be a lesson here for all commercial producers, for all actually institutional theaters. If the atmosphere is so pleasant, as you d- seem to describe it, that it, maybe that's why it's so uh, telling on stage, that it's so exciting, because it is an unusual piece. and. When you tell it, it's kind of like we went into a, a basement and we created this story, and look at what happened.
4: Well, but it's not just that the atmosphere was pleasant. I mean, it, that, it was that, I think, because mm-hmm. of the people involved. But it was, the, you know, the, the process was designed so that, so that it never got ahead of itself, it never had to get ahead of itself. There was never an expectation that, that we felt we had to satisfy.
2: Uh, no timetable. No. You weren't it, producing exactly. a date. Right.
4: There was, mm-hmm. there was no necessity. We, there was not a slot we had to fill. There was no expectation as to what that slot had to, had to be filled with. I mean, th- th- we've talked about this, but th- th- the only thing we had to do was to go into a her- rehearsal room with a bunch of dancers and see what we had five weeks later. That was it. And that, yes, it was pleasant, but it's, it has more to do with the fact that that's the way the, the show was developed than the fact that we all got along, although we did.
1: Along with your core of dancers that you've worked with before. How many auditions did you have, or did you have any auditions yes, for dancing? We
3: had um, about uh, two, two, maybe three, looking for the just an audition, looking for that girl in the yellow dress, that special
1: girl. Yeah. How yeah. do you deal with the the auditions? if somebody is prop is not right for the?
3: No, oh, it's difficult Because whenever I have auditions I would love to hire them all. <laughs> you know, because they all are oh, well, very so talented. Good. If well, they if them they've left? made it that far to get in front of me, mm-hmm. they're very talented. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very difficult if to you reject, reject it. anybody. If <laughs> what they're what you rejected, do you do
2: how do you, what's your process of rejecting someone
6: though? Do you tell you them know, on the spot I, or n- uh, take them to dinner first? And
3: then <laughs> 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 no, not necessarily. I thank them for being there and, and and I do try to explore every aspect, like for the example of dancers in contact, they would do the combination, but then I would toss out different emotions to them. I would want them to do the same combination as if they were flirtatious. Or do the same combination as if you were drunk. Do the same combination as if you were aggressive. Do the same combination if, um, if, if you've never danced before in your life. And, and see how they do that and act that combination. Because I need people who act, not just dancers. I need people who really act out emotions, and that's part of the process of the audition. And at the end, you know, I, I thank them for what what they have done, and, and then we don't, we, we actually it's, it's then we have a long discussion about who is there. So you cannot make a decision right away. They go away,
1: so you don't make you don't make the decision right away. No,
3: you'll know if somebody really wows you that that person's going to make it, but. But even then, it's, it's quite a discussion between, uh, with John and, and me laying down. I'm
1: asking, we've discussed this on seminars before, and, and there was the point that a director has made that says that he feels it's more honest to say then as you said, thank you very much, and, and you really are good, but not quite right, and, and let them know immediately. As opposed to, you'll hear from us. And but you they know, wait for the telephone. so
3: many times those people have gone out the door, and I thought, you know, they're not quite right, but when I had this discussion with John or lay them out, they're absolutely right and they get the mm-hmm. job. Because you can make a decision too fast.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, in, in, I mean, one aspect of this, and this is really true, I suppose, of any group, but particularly true in, in this case, is that when we were hiring pe- people initially, we were hiring people for the third piece for the dance club. And the, the balance of types in the club was something which is very, very Im- important to the way the piece operates. So until we had pictures laid out on a floor – Of the s- club? Of the club, basically. Somebody might have, might have been spectacular. There might have been two people who were spectacular, but they were so similar that you would not want both of them in the club. So somebody moved off the floor and somebody else moved in. So there was a constant really process of sifting. Mm-hmm.
2: Can I uh, talk? Maybe it's the marketing uh, department, or maybe it's uh, whoever's department is. But eventually, someone's going to put a label on what the show is. I mean, you're moving it now into a commercial venue, and uh, maybe some of your 50,000 members will get an opportunity then to see it. Uh, What are you going to call it? What is, I mean, what would you prefer it to be (coughs) known as? Because everything eventually gets categorized, and uh, you call it a dance play now. I, I think you should
5: go into that first. Why did we call it a dance right. play? Mm-hmm. So I ask the question. <laughs> yeah. Why do we call it a dance play, sir? Oh, geez, no, don't, don't ask you. me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I notice also in your billing that you've changed from uh, sometimes you are uh, co-authors and sometimes you're the author and you're the director choreographer. But I see it's written by the two of you. Yeah, it was always, so it
6: was always by Susan and John yeah. Whitman right, right. That's always at but the top. And then there's other credits. The, then, then specifically to the what record. they do.
2: Which I think is um, uh, unique in itself. That's unique in itself, but it's very, obviously, it's very revealing to exactly what this show is. But, uh, all right, what is, the, what is the answer to the question?
4: Well, can I just s- an answer? answer? Let me answer one way first, and then I'll turn it over to Tom. <laughs> I mean, because I've been asked this question, too. And I, again, uh, you know, when, when Straw and I went to work, we simply sat in a room and looked at the tools we had and see and, and put them together to see what we would wind up with. There was absolutely no thought as to w- what the piece would be other th- – it was like watching something unfold. And then when it was finished, the issue of labeling it came up. Um, uh, but w- what it was was not something we ever talked about or worried about what we should name it. was not something we ever gave any thought to while we were creating it. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, is, is revealing about the way, the way in which Word we got resentment. to where we got, you know. Now Tom can answer. Right. I'll stay well, out. Well, I just want to
6: say that, that th- the great thing about the phrase "a dance play" is that it, it triggers a discussion like this. It says to people, "Well, what 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 is this thing? It's not a play. It's not a musical, or it's both. is all this dancing, and it positions it, I think, to people to say it's not quite what you're used to seeing. It's something new. It's something fresh, and that's always exciting for people to see. Um, so I think in the first instance, the first go round. It was helpful for people to think of it as different, as special. Um, and now, people, I think, have embraced it as a musical, and we're perfectly happy to call it a musical. Well, I don't know if we're perfectly. Well, I'm perfectly <laughs> happy to call it a musical.
2: <laughs> but eventually, don't you think that uh, when you're in a commercial venue, you're going to be up for uh, awards, including our Tony Award? Uh, you are probably going to fall into, it would seem you're going to fall into the musical category, yet you don't hire – you don't have any uh, playing musicians. And you don't have any uh, vocals, as such. Well. But
3: that came out of really um, because the the story is about um, a man's life flashing before his eyes. It's he what he as as would yours. You would think of songs that were connected. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think of a new Broadway s- s- show, <laughs> a new Broadway score, if you were leaping off a building. But you would think of songs <laughs> that, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Not going there. What <laughs> You know, but you would think of songs that would push buttons to your own emotions. That's why there are songs in there like, like Run Around Sue" or songs like "Beyond the Sea," and and because. Um, It is swing dancing, but it's not pure swing dancing, because in fact, this character doesn't really know what swing dancing is. So he conjures up them swing dancing to simply irresistible, which no one would ever do. But in fact, when he sees this beautiful girl, he thinks of the phrase, she's simply irresistible. And that's the song that comes to his mind. And then we put swing dancing on top of it. So in fact, it, it came out of the idea of the text of the story of the reality – and it's very contemporary to feel this – of of the reality of your subconscious coming out and trying to save you, you would think of songs that push buttons to your own emotion.
2: Who did select the music? I mean, you have such an eclectic <laughs> style of you know, music.
3: Uh, well, I th- John and I both, you know, we, we laid out – uh, I, have, I lo- have a lot of music in my apartment, and all, all it really ranges from classical to jazz and to – you put them all in.
2: I mean, you have you Yes,
1: have them.
3: yes. But, but it's all, for example, in the second piece, it's classical music because the story is about a husband telling his wife not to move. He says, Don't move. And of course, he leaves the room and she gets up and does a wild dance. And what she does to rebel, she does classical ballet because that would be the ultimate rebellion to say to some, if, to, if someone told you not to move, you would get up and do classical ballet when they left the room. So that, that called for a classical feel. And it's all classical ballet, but classical dance. Sections of ballet music, so it really has an exuberant dance feeling to it, but um, in contact in our third piece, they are all contemporary classic songs, so in fact, they actually push the emotions of the audience too
4: and uh, let me just add to that you know when, when we were, before we got to the workshop when Stowe and I were designing the piece, she had a sort of an armful of, of possible songs w- which we, which we played around with and you know, the selection of the songs, it was a process that worked back and forth. I mean, the songs, because the songs have beginning, middle and end, they become scene structures within the piece. And so the, p- the choice of a particular song um, was made as the, as the notion for a particular scene within the piece was developing. And often, the song would suggest the the scene which would happen, during the song, and often it would happen the other way around, that a particular event which was going to occur in the club would suggest a different piece of music that would, that would be the arc of so it. So it really was it was a very interesting process. Plus, the
3: idea that it's, it's contemporary, it takes place in a bar, so you see a bartender with CDs. Yeah. So everything about it has a, almost a cinematic quality to it, and a, and a very cinematic quality for
2: 1999. So what is it? Is, <laughs> it, is it a musical?
3: Are you asking me? (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, I mean, I think if one has, I think it's more a musical than anything else. So I guess. More a musical than not. It's more a musical
5: than (laughs) not. But it was appropriate
3: to the story to use this music rather than a new score.
0: You know, I mean, Mr. Uh, uh, Hirschfeld, the great artist and caricaturist. Came to the opening night. He, he comes to many of our openings, and he sits in the front row. And he's 94. He's 94 years old, and it's a great, job. great man, and a theater mm-hmm. lover, even to this day. And and I'd heard I didn't talk to him, but someone told me that he he loved it. And I thought it's going to be very interesting for me to see what this guy who has sat through probably 50 years at least of opening nights and and drawn the great 75 years of opening nights and drawn and seeing all the great stars of all the great musicals pretty much of the twentieth century. And I thought, well, I'd love to know what he's going to make of this show. And he just loved it. And it was reported to to us that he he said, you know, I I honestly feel that this, whatever this is, this form is the new form for musicals in the twenty-first century. This combination of story and dialogue and song, and some version of song and dance. And uh, he, there he was, this distinguished man, at a very advanced stage, just seeing the future of the musical in front of him, through his going to contact. I think
1: that's very true.
3: But well, I think, too, the strength of the characters. A lot of the musicals that have been written in the past ten years have lost the strength of character. And there are two very strong characters in these stories, that the audience gets on and rides with them they hook onto those characters and they take that ride with those characters and i think that what feels is what feels fresh to an audience today because it is lacking in the
1: musicals
2: well as susan explained you need this music you need the ex- exact actual music that's in the show in order for it to succeed the classical and the and the and the as well as the swing music now you couldn't play that in in a pit orchestra that it just wouldn't work so what arrangement you have with the musicians. You know, what will you do when you move it to the more commercial venue?
1: You,
5: you can talk pay a about lot of a commercial grace. venue, and I don't know what those are. Well, are you
2: I, a Broadway I, well the equivalent of a Broadway theater. When you move it to the Vivian Beaumont, well, where you it's become Tony It's
5: Lincoln Center Theater, there are no musicians there except when there are. Uh, there uh, is no requirement in the house that there uh, be musicians, and so consequently. The, the the whole point of this is not the avoidance of musicians no. right now in the <laughs> Vivian Beaumont <laughs> theater there's a more conventional musical taking place and it has a complement of 19 musicians so uh, although this is a commercial discussion, that aha! Uh-huh, they've got a new idea for a musical. No musicians. <laughs> That's not right. the idea I mean, of the musical, No really. strings or no strings or brass.
3: Because <laughs> <laughs> we do pay quite a lot for music rights for those music. Well, Somebody's getting cr- paid a lot of <laughs> money. <laughs> <laughs> Some <laughs> musicians. Yeah. I think, no, <laughs> the no, no, music rights so are well, very expensive. Composers, composers and yeah. the
2: recordings. You know, you pay, yes, you 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 pay a lot of money for this right? But I think I think the point you make is is significant in terms of distinguishing the Vivian Beaumont. From if this show were to have moved from the Mitzi New House to a. Uh, to the Royal to, to a larger house, please. Right. But uh, to a.
5: Uh, or the. the broadest, let's say the Brogers. Whatever. Say.
2: If you moved to that, you would, in, you would have encountered or you.
5: There, where there is a house requirement that there right. be a number of musicians, right. there would be what are called standby musicians or walkers. Right.
2: Uh, but in this case, you're re- relieved journey, of that because of the nature yeah, of. It. Yeah. Yeah. Did that enter into your decision in terms of where you were going to move the show? No. No. Not at
5: all. no, the decision about where you were going to move it is what was available. The Beaumont mm-hmm. was available. I, I get and a it sense. And it's very it, desirable, by the way. But n- <laughs> now,
2: we get oh a sense gosh. that perhaps money isn't as critical to, to the institutional oh, theater. No, I don't no. think that's true. <laughs> money is well, extraordinary. I know. I, so I think maybe y- y- you could develop that a little bit because it sounds like you work in, in luxury and in the commercial theater. People are looking at, that, at contact, and they only wish they could have done it. But the instant excuse is, not that we didn't assemble the talent, or not that we didn't, we're, we're not that creative ourselves, but, well, they're subsidized and they don't have these problems. And I think if you know –
5: They're not subsidized. I mean, that's well, the silliest thing I've ever heard. They're subsidized. It's such a passive act. Right. Just, why doesn't everybody get subsidized? <laughs> it sounds like a really good thing right. to do. What you do is you raise money. I mean, you subsidize yourself. Okay. You raise money from – To
1: subsidize your production. Well, you d- the
5: mm-hmm. theatre is theater. self-subsidized <laughs> by the money that it raises. It's not that complex. All yeah. of the art appar- the art structure, the art infrastructure, the artistic organizations of New York and of the United States and of the world are subsidized. Some of them are subsidized principally by government. Some of them are subsidized by very, very wealthy individuals, some mm-hmm. of them are subsidized by, again, the four categories – these are the other four <laughs> categories – of those who provide funds, which is government, individuals, foundations and corporations. Those are the only four sources. Some of us have been looking for a fifth source for years, but meanwhile, we're making do with the four sources. The only difference between the commercial theatre and the institutional theatre, that which is not-for-profit, is that the commercial theatre raises money, which is subsidy, which is investment capital for one show, and either it returns that capital if it succeeds, or it loses that capital if it fails. We plan not to fail artistically, but to fail uh, economically, (laughs) and therefore we raise the money that we need to operate our theatre and to do a number of plays, and every so often the tables are turned on us and there is a play that is viable and earns more money than it spends, most of our plays cost more than they earn, and it's very simple in the theatre. When plays cost more than they earn, they require a subsidy. When they earn more than they cost, they throw off an excess of profit.
2: And what do you do with that? I, I, you I, I, spend I, I,
5: it on the future uh, years or on this year or on more plays. It's invested. Nobody goes on a yeah. vacation to the, <laughs> uh, uh, to the South Seas as a reu- result of it. In other words, what happens is the money that a not-for-profit theatre does earn in excess of its costs either builds up an endowment or endows future years. It's reinvested. I think think that you leave out –
2: I mean, it's a very pat pat (laughs) explanation, uh, Bernie. But I think that uh, in the commercial theatre, they are totally dependent upon ticket sales and in the in the case of No they're not totally dependent on it. They're well, totally dependent in on order ticket to survive. sales
5: and capitalization. But well, once once they one capital. without the
2: other. Right. Well once the capital is expended, they are then yes, of at course. the mercy. And in the institutional theater, because you're doing the kind of product you're doing, you anticipate the e- economic failure as you right. say, so you can keep the show running, whereas in the commercial theater uh, unless they get further subsidy, if you it's will. It's more simply right. stated
5: than the reality, yeah, but right, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
3: right. But that's what I think they can concentrate, too, on the art and the artists. It's Lincoln Center's the closest thing we have to the Royal National Theatre in London. I've been very lucky to have been asked to work there last year with Trevor Nunn on Oklahoma, and it's that same sort of nurturing, all about the artist, all about the dancer, all about the actor, to make them feel comfortable and not to make it feel uh, like you have to have an ultimate goal. Just to let you do the work in the cellar of Lincoln Center or in the cellar of the National Theater, and th- that that helps the artists create. It's, it's more about for the art of the theater.
2: Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, all of, all the theater could be created exactly under this formula, where you are you plan for financial uh, economic uh, failure? I think that would be a, a, a if everybody, if all, maybe we'd we have more production. Yes, <laughs> sure. But maybe we'd have more production if they could be a, based well, on. We it. couldn't have
5: more production. Everything is filled. <laughs> or books, or scheduled.
2: Well, that's because they're waiting for the audience to buy I think to the, the coexistence
5: is very interesting. The coexistence of the two sectors is interesting, and the interplay between them is very interesting. And this is a relatively recent phenomenon. I mean, it's forty years old. It's only for mm-hmm. the last forty years. I mean. Right at this point, it's interesting to look at a hundred years of American or New York theatre. In the last forty years, which is only forty percent of the century, there has been the not-for-profit theatre. It hasn't done in the for-profit theatre. The for-profit theatre is flourishing. I in fact, all they're doing now is regretting that they tore down the theatres they tore down <laughs> in the uh, twenty years before the last forty years,
2: you know. Well, it is cyclical, and I think we're now at it as our economic. I, I
1: think it's Or arti- well, maybe it'll get better. <laughs> I, as articulate. As this whole panel is, we still have to stop, and there are still some more questions that I want to ask. And you have to begin journeying here because there are lots of things that you haven't explored. It doesn't seem possible you've been so open about everything, but there's still more that I want to know. Think and about the heart. I do, but we have to wait right now because we're going to stop and take a break, take a deep breath, stand up. And come back right immediately again, so we can continue this discussion on the production, the team that made possible Contact, and it's an exciting team, truly. So please just take a deep breath and come right back, and we'll start all
2: over.
6: This is
0: CUNY TV, the City University of New York.
1: Welcome back to the American Theatre Wing Seminar on Working in the Theatre. Before we return to these wonderfully knowledgeable panelists, I would like to point out to you that the Wing is more than a sponsor of seminars, more than our famous Tony Awards, which is given for excellence in the theatre. We are an organization whose year-round programs are dedicated to serving the theatre and the community with the goal of developing new audiences. And to achieve that goal, we have recreated audience development programs for students, like our Introduction to Broadway program, which began seven years ago and has enabled almost 80,000 New York City high school students to attend a Broadway show, and for many of them, for the very first time. And through our theatre in school programs, theatre professionals like these in our seminars and our, the panels go directly into classrooms to work with and talk to students about working in the theatre. In addition, we have our hospital program, which dates back to World War II and our legendary stage door canteens. And today's version of the program brings talent from Broadway, off-Broadway and the cabaret world to entertain patients in hospitals, senior day and nursing facilities, and service organizations, and AIDS care, and child care and hospital facilities in the New York area. They bring the magic of theatre to those who cannot get to the theatre themselves. We are proud of the work we do and are delighted with the wonderful working relationship we have with the theatrical community. I am grateful to our members and everyone who makes possible all that the American Theatre Wing does. And so now, let's get back to our seminar on the production. And Roy Samuel, President of the American Theatre Wing, will moderate this and will bring out all the questions that haven't yet been answered on what it is to produce that show called Contact. Roy, will you now start this? Thank you, Isabel. We've been
2: talking about Contact, so let's find out. How did it get its name, and what does it mean? <laughs> so who, wants to, who wants to address it? Well, who I named think it?
3: It's a, um, well, John and I both, we did toss around different names. Ultimately, the evening is about people making contact, and, and um, about connection. And uh, it just seemed to be uh, what the show was about, ultimately. And it has a clean sound, it looks good. You know, we, we did toss around some other names, but in fact, like, it what? Has an immediate like what?
2: Like connection? I mean, um, well, I don't remember connection. I don't, I that. don't remember. remember.
3: Oh. Cuz we we actually right in the middle of the workshop we started calling it contact the first workshop and uh, it it just has an immediacy to it, you know, and, and uh, it has a visual. It sums up a visual. Well, it fits. And is it is it yes. a short
5: form of contact dancing?
3: Contact dancing is yes, cuz swing dancing. It's because the dancing is contact dancing. It's about making contact also the dance it's in a way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because in each, in three, all, even the um, second piece, although it's not swing dancing, it's classical ballet. It's about uh, Karen Zambi- Zamba making contact with the head waiter. That's when she's happiest. When she's connecting, being lifted. So it's when they make contact that she's happiest.
4: Oh, oh, it should be said that when we met with Andre early on, Andre said, "Well, you're not going to call it that, though, are you?" No, of <laughs> we say, no, 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 no. And it was only as the piece evolved that it just it seemed to be. It was as if we'd given. Our child a temporary name, <laughs> and suddenly it was, that's you like know. the Chinese idea. Ch- Chinese ha- give their
5: children milk milk names until they find out what the character of the kid is, and yes. then they give I the full name. I think uh, this the, is the same idea. Did, yeah. you,
2: did you have an alternate title in mind at any time? Uh,
0: South Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no. I have this theory now that all good shows, it's of course Ludicrous theory – begin with C. <laughs> The word C, <laughs> Carousel, Chorus Line, Camp-a-ray. Cabaret, <laughs> Contact, and all the shows we're doing this season Camp that later. I know of so far, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have uh, we're doing a new musical called *Mary Christine <laughs> and the Time of the Cuckoo. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I think yeah. it's like, you know, I mean, I don't mean to – not only all stories all titles. I mean the title Oklahoma in its day, which I understand was it's a se- Oklahoma, th- isn't it? <laughs> it was a second title. Originally the show was called Away We Go. And I'm sure if someone said, Well we want to call our show Oklahoma and that was before they added an exclamation point, well, it's after the fact the title seems appropriate. And I think Contact in the middle you know, but once the show was done, Contact actually seemed like the perfect title for the whole evening and for the penultimate piece.
5: I would like to go public now with my theory of names. Please. Somebody has to say, well, oh, Bernie, what is your what theory is name? What is names? My theory of names is that names tend to act like shrink wrap around that which they are the name of. <laughs> and I learned this some time back, and I learned it, first of all, in relationship to an individual. Adolf was always a very, very bad name for me when I was a kid, until I met Adolf Green. And then the name Adolf shrunk wrapped shrunk wrapped around Adolf Green and supplanted Adolf Hitler for me and Adolf became a perfectly lovely name. The next experience was with a show called "Here," which was the first show we did down at the public theater. And these guys came in, with very long hair and curly hair, and said, the name of this show is Hair. I said, Hair? That's a terrible name for a show. Nobody will ever come to see a show called Hair. It's too dumb a name. And, well, I didn't prevail. (laughs) And gradually, that name shrunk around the show Hair. And Hair, as something that grows out of your head, uh, was as nothing compared to the show Hair. And uh, did I have another example? Those were two very significant examples of how names form around shows. Contact has changed, has altered in meaning to us, those of us who say contact a great number of times every day now. And it now is the name of a wonderful evening in the theater, whether it's a musical or a dance club. Uh, And that's what contact means. And contact will increasingly uh, shrink around this show until contact will mean the show, and it's irrelevant what former associations you have with the word contact and what it formally m- meant to you. My idea for the poster originally was a photograph of Amelia Earhart standing in front of her aeroplane <laughs> with her hands on the propeller, and then the title would say, CONTACT, and everybody <laughs> would know what the show was about.
1: Uh, I'm I'm uh, glad you didn't (laughs) (laughs) prevail. I I don't know who said it or where I saw it, but it it was contact and not contact, as well, which I thought was so very – in one of your faces, it's
3: the connection and the, and, and the not ability not to, which is the ability to, yes, that
1: yes. a dramatic part of it. As because well.
3: even in the first short story, which we haven't spoken much about, it the Fragonart painting on the swing. It's most exciting when they make contact on the swing, when, when the uh, girl in the swing and the servant get on the swing together and make contact. That's when the, the mm-hmm. story really soars. Well, you could have called it Whoopi. <laughs> 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 yes, they do that, too, on the swing, yeah. <laughs> could,
2: we, could we get it uh, back to a uh, little bit of the basics of, of producing the show? Now you've got this successful show, it's at the Mitzi Newhouse Theatre. And you have to close it, because you've got other plans. Another C-show coming in. A, a, <laughs> another show called a Connection, cuckoo. maybe? <laughs> <laughs> right? Cuckoo. cuckoo. Uh, uh, well, Cuckoo. All right. So you're moving it now to what I consider a commercial atmosphere, if not a commercial theatre, Bernie, where, be, where it's a, it, the ticket prices are similar to uh, uh, the bargain prices on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is your audience? Who are you targeting now, when you're moving it up to the, to the three times larger theatre?
6: Well, what's, what's great about the show is that it has an almost limitless theatre audience, because it communicates through mostly through dance, as we said. And so there's n- not the same language barriers. So people who are not strong in English, for example, would enjoy the show greatly. Uh, musicals tend to have broader audiences and plays generally. So we're going after everybody, and, and I think uh, mm-hmm. you'll you'll see a, a, a great variety of people in, in the house. All right. but, but the, show the, the
5: interesting th- thing about the audience is the range of ages That's that respond so positively. So that if uh, indeed. Uh, Alice uh, Hirschfeld is at the furthest extreme of great, great enthusiasts. There are also kids who are coming to the show and really going for it in a big way.
2: Well, now, how do you do this? You've opened a show that uh, will not have an, uh, tickets available to the general public uh, and for six months.
6: Well, we're selling now, though.
2: But you're selling now. how do you maintain the interest from the, the, the people? You're only, s- only 300 people a night are able to see the show, word of mouth is so critical. Uh, Thirty thousand people will see the show, uh, which is uh, con- considerably less than it would be if, you're, if you were in a upstairs now. Uh, how are you going to maintain that? Enthusiasm to get the ticket sales so that you can run the 14 years that this looks like it's destined to run.
3: They've put John and I out on the street with flyers. <laughs> yeah, so
1: we're actually <laughs> television right. yes, right.
6: shows <laughs> like this. <Yeah. laughs> but no, you we're have to one dollar every person
3: in the Manhattan
2: right. to go. But no, if someone can't uh, come see your show right. for six months, how do you maintain their interest in it?
6: Well, we'll do, we're doing a number of different things. We're obviously doing a lot of print advertising, which some people have already begun to see. Uh, we're planning a television campaign, we'll do direct mail. Uh, it's ways of sampling the show before you see it, uh, radio campaign. And uh, the reviews and feature stories that continue to come out about the show, there was another review that came out this morning. So it, it's a continual process.
2: But uh, my concern is that you get people so excited about wanting to see a show, and they can't really get a ticket for, to see it for another six months. But that's
5: in, when can you get a ticket for THE LION KING, which <laughs> has been running a uh, year and a half? When's the first available ticket for? Well, I
2: think they're probably – they've had those, that, that two years of
5: it's not. But it's not dissimilar. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get them. People know it. The ticket becomes more valuable when you can't get it. <laughs> you value it more, okay. or you have to wait for that fulfillment of the pleasure of seeing the show. But you they look have forward 1,500 You sales. get to look forward to it for well, a longer right, period of time. you're really right. You're absolutely
2: right. You're right, except they have 1,500 salespeople out every night, and you only have 299.
5: Yeah, but we've got the creme de la creme.
1: <laughs> We're going to have to come back when you're at the Beaumont and do much more of this, because apparently we have run out of time. Oh. And so I have to say thank you so much. And there is so much more that I know that you can give us, and so much more that I would like to ask you. But I have to just start with, this is the American Theatre Wing Seminar. We're working in the theatre, and the production team of CONTACT has been with us and is with us, and been so wonderfully, wonderfully grateful we are to you for giving us your time and your energy and explanation of how contact came apart. Thank you so much for being here.